Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, Sherry. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Amanda. Of course. Can you please start us off by giving a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. My name is Sherry Adler. I am a BCBA currently in Maryland. Um, my background um, experiences have been in mainly in Massachusetts, also Connecticut, and now I'm providing home services in Maryland. Um, I am a licensed behavior analyst in the state of Maryland and also Virginia. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today, Sherry. Thank you for having me. One of the reasons why I had asked you to come on and talk today was because of our previous conversations and your interest um, in talking with me about trauma-informed treatment. Would you be able to uh, just define for our listeners what we mean by trauma and trauma-informed care? Sure. Well, um, I think when we think about um, trauma-informed care on its own, is simply realizing and taking into account the fact that um, the prevalence of trauma in the general population as well as in the population of um, those with developmental disabilities is high, um, you know, and being sensitive to that fact within our treatment. Okay, thank you. So can you explain to us a little bit more about what uh, a trauma-informed care or treatment might look like or how we conceptualize what are maybe even considered traumatic events for individuals? Sure. So when we think, um, when we typically think about trauma, um, a person might generally think of, you know, someone who's been sexually abused or physically abused, verbally abused, um, has witnessed a um, someone else being physically or sexually abused um, and things like that. Those are your big traumas. Um, trauma-informed care within our field, I think, really emphasizes the fact that, you know, any communication deficits and things like that can also be considered, um, you know, little traumatic events. If you think about learning, often, you know, is a, um, when someone learns, they get repeated exposure to um, a skill over and over again, and that's how, that's how we learn. Um, you someone with a communication deficit, well, they use their challenging behavior to get access to what they want over and over and over again. That's what works for them, and therefore that becomes adaptive for them. Um, and eventually those, you know, those connections start to develop for them, and that's how they function. When did you first come to consider or learn about trauma-informed treatment or to consider trauma-informed uh, perspective with your care with the clients with whom you work? So my background in education did not actually involve 
um, learning about trauma-informed care. Um, it wasn't until I worked for a residential facility here in Virginia um, pr providing in-home services that I really had more exposure to a trauma-informed care learning model. Is that something that you were being taught or instructed by behavior analysts, or is it an interdisciplinary team? Can you explain to us the role that you play on that team? Sure. It was um, training provided by, it was an interdisciplinary team, um, you know, but also by a team of behavior analysts. Um, my role within the company was providing in-home services um, to mainly individuals with autism, but also other developmental disabilities. So if we think about a traditional, if there is such a thing, uh, coursework or experience in behavior analysis, and we think about, um, you know, learning about verbal behavior and the operands and learning about the functions of behavior, um, not a lot of time is spent necessarily focusing on things like covert internal states or thoughts or feelings. And oftentimes I think behavior analysts might be trained or conditioned to believe that, you know, taking a perspective of trauma is outside of our scope or outside of what we've been trained to do. What would you say or how could you instruct somebody who's looking to learn more and how do we make, you know, these considerations a part of something that is not only within our scope but becomes part of our expertise with our interventions? Sure. So a big part of the um, initial, you know, um, I guess education uh, surrounding trauma-informed care was understanding kind of how um, an elementary understanding of how the brain developed um, and how, you know, it developed at a young age and um, the different roles, the different parts of our brain played in um, – our past experiences and therefore our present experiences um, and how learning, how it played a part in our learning for future skills that we might use. Um, so for anyone, you know, interested in learning more about trauma-informed care and how, um, how it might impact the individual, how, how trauma might impact the individual, I would say a good place to start is learning a little bit more about how the brain develops and the different roles um, the different parts of the brain play in learning and in, in decision making. Sure. Can you give an example of how since taking more of this approach or since having more of this perspective, how it's informed your treatment either your relationships or outcomes differently than before you were really kind of taking some of these considerations? Sure. I mean, I think it, um, you know, I think part of the reason it intrigued me so much and interested me so much is also part of the reason that, you know, I pursued it. And um, it played well into the, the entire reason I went into this field um, to begin with. Um, it, you know, and that is trying to understand why people do the things we do, understanding the functions of, you know, how our past experiences affect our future 
decision making. Um, I think the way, a big way that it's helped me kind of uh, solidify that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the way I care, I um, carry out treatment or treat others, you know, or treat other families is really trying to understand their experiences with relationships, um, their past experiences with maybe other service providers that they've had, um, with other treatments that they've had, um, and that's really helped me to individualize my treatment going forward for the different families who I work with. So in some ways, it sounds like it's helped you develop some of those soft skills, so understanding relationships, listening, um, asking about people's history. Now, I, I knew you in Massachusetts. We had an opportunity to work together, and I feel that you are always a very considerate and compassionate consultant. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's not that um, I want to be clear for people who are listening. It's not that as a behavior analyst you weren't those things, but to me, I started to get really interested as you started to talk to me more about what additional information you were learning was bringing into your treatment and into your um, how you practice, right? Your style, if you will. What have you seen to be some of the biggest benefits to really kind of learning more about this and adapting um, this consideration and perspective into the way in which you now provide consultation? Sure. I think, you know, um, exactly um, as you, like you said, Amanda, you know, it's helped, it's really helped develop and hone in on the, those soft skills that I think, um, you know, is crucial, is a crucial part when you're going into, you know, families' homes and working with a wide variety of cultures and, um, you know, people and uh, people have their own thoughts on disciplines and what matters to them the most. Um, so I think understanding people's histories um, is a really important way of, you know, getting, especially getting parents to kind of buy in to uh treatment decisions that you're making. Um, not only do they see that it's working, but they, you know, have a relationship and want to um, implement what you're suggesting. Um, so that that's on the that's on the family end of it. On the treatment end of it, I think um, sometimes clients might have, you know, behaviors that are seemingly like out of the blue or that there's no clear um, understanding of where that behavior came from. But if you can look a little bit deeper and see maybe they had a history of some kind of abuse that you don't know about um, and, you know, something about the situation, the current situation that they're in triggered a response and that's, you know, and that response might have been aggressive. It looks to be out of the blue, but there really is, there really was a trigger that, um, you know, caused that person to react in the manner that they did. 
When I think about my own journey in behavior analysis, I often think about my own history, and I think about things such as my own traumas. You know, I um, think about some of those larger traumas. I was in a very serious car accident. But what did that do as far as maybe some of the smaller things? It meant that when I started a new school, I was the girl who had the limp. It meant that I, you know, didn't want to um, leave classes when other students left class because I didn't, I didn't want to be late to the next class, so I wanted to leave early. There's a lot of different things that I'm, that I did in my life or that that event impacted that I wasn't aware of really at the time. And as I right. became a behavior analyst and started to study people or behavior in general, I started to kind of take some of that knowledge and be a little bit introspective and look at my own life and think about, oh my gosh, some of that makes so much sense. And I find that a lot of professionals, physicians, psychologists, um, we're doing that same kind of thing, right? They're, they're, we're making connections to ourselves. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it can get in the way where we, we feel like we have a shared event with a client perhaps or we have a shared experience that even if you share, you can perceive it really differently. Um, but nonetheless, it's really good to be introspective. How has taking this approach in addition to what you were trained as a behavior analyst, has that given you any insight into your own personal life? Like do you see any influence uh, in that way or any changes there? Um, I, you know, I do, I do in certain, you know, I think, um, any field that a person goes to gets them kind of thinking about their own life and how, you know, um, different situations have, you know, led them to react different, you know, in the now, um, and, you know, what their past has um, developed them into. So, yeah, definitely, I think, you know, some of uh, my reactions to, you know, for example, when, um, you know, if my husband and I ever, you know, have a fight like all couples do, um, you know, my extreme reactions to some of the things that he might say seem like they're, you know, um, not called for to him. But then when we actually, like, sit down and I can, you know, I'm able to explain maybe the situations that I've experienced that may have led up to my reaction being what it was, he kind of is in a place to to understand why I reacted the way I did. Um, so I think that, you know, trauma-informed uh, certifications or research or, you know, um, professional development that I've been through has also helped me in my personal life, you know, with relationships not only with my husband but with other people, um, you know, just to broaden perspectives on um, on uh, the different circumstances that everybody faces. So it's always really interesting to me when I think back to people who I went to school with, um, and such as yourself, we were both classmates together many moons ago. Um, one of the, the things that always strikes me as so interesting is the different directions in which we all branch off to and go in. And I think that's real exciting for the profession of behavior analysis and for other people who are just pursuing their path and aren't sure where it's going to lead them. 
of all of the settings that you've worked in, so home or school, um, community, and the different types of, um, of experiences you had, is there something that really kind of feels like a favorite place for you or feels like your comfort zone? Um, because you've done a lot of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Is there? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think where I am most comfortable um, within working within the field is um, is home base. Um, you know, I found as much as it had, you know, presented challenges and that you're working with so many different different types of families from different backgrounds and um, different perspectives. Um, you know, and you know, some some have might have a very strict view on discipline um, and what learning is and some may have a very loose view on discipline and what learning is to them. Um, I think that I found to be my most comfortable place um, working within the field is, you know, consulting with families, um, you know, to develop treatment plans and also, you know, uh, parent training. I think being able to give parents the resources and the tools that they need in order to make, you know, everyday successes for themselves has been where I found my happy place. Oh, that's awesome. Your happy place. Well, <laughs> it, it tends to be where we can achieve change. And I find that in my experiences, no one is more committed to improving the lives of themselves or the learners um, really more than the families. And so sometimes you're going to be working with some very different, um, diverse situations, which keeps you on your toes, which keeps you, right. you know, being flexible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of connect with you there a little bit. I find a lot of my happy places really with parents and with teachers. Um, but cool. Thank you for sharing. Uh, before we end the call today, is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know? Um, no, I mean, aside from being in this field, um, my husband and I have actually, you know, within the past year, started a healthy um, vending business. So, you know, I'm always looking, you know, to see how I can apply what I've learned within this field and the principles and how I can improve people's, you know, overall eating, decrease uh, rate of obesity in schools, and, you know, who knows where that would be. So just to clarify, you said a, a healthy eating vending machine? A healthy, yep, a healthy vending machine. Vending. Yep, so... Vending, yeah. So we have um, healthy options, you know, for people to choose from. So instead of Doritos, you know, they have a healthy alternative um, that they can that they can choose from, and you know, looking to impact people's lives in that way. Wow, that sounds really interesting. It would be neat to have you on it at another time to talk about how does behavior analysis play into. Um, trying to increase people's more healthy eating behaviors, you know, not necessarily, yeah, sure. yeah, not necessarily just that like marketing perspective of stuff, which is, you know, behavior analysis can definitely help too. But I think about like 
positional prompts or um, the the price of an item, right, or how effortful, right. how far away they have to walk to get to it. So right, that that's a big like, piece of it. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool conversation. So we'll definitely extend an invite to you and have you back on to talk about some branching out of behavior analysis in some really unique ways. So thank yeah. you again. Yeah, thank you again, Sherry, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can do that by visiting www.behaviorbabe.com. 